0: Good morning, and welcome to the morning segment of the Wednesday, January 10th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is focused on prayer, devotion, reading of Scripture, and the study of Scripture. Faith Comes From Hearing Podcast is a humble member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can find it over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. There's a lot of great listening over there. Over 60 well-curated podcasts, a wide, wide variety of topic areas, all covered from a biblical worldview. My brothers and sisters in Christ over there doing some great work for the kingdom, so I would definitely recommend you go over there. I will guarantee you're going to find something over there you want to listen to, and there's a very real chance... You're going to find more over there to listen to than you actually have time to listen to it in. And I say that from experience. All right. Well, it's Wednesday, middle of the week. We're we're chugging on through. And with it being a typical day of the week, we're going to do our Bible reading here in the morning. And then for the evening segment, we'll continue on. In our study of John chapter 17, we're moving into a new section as we talked about how John 17 is broken up into Jesus praying for himself, praying for his disciples, then praying for the church. We're moving into the section about praying for his disciples. So we'll do that in the evening segment. So let's go ahead and jump right on in. We'll open up with the fourth day morning prayer from Valley Vision called True Christianity. Let's pray. Lord of heaven, thy goodness is inexpressible and inconceivable. In the works of creation thou art almighty, in the dispensations of providence all-wise, in the gospel of grace all-love, and in thy Son thou hast provided for our deliverance from the effects of sin, the, justific- excuse me, the justification of our persons, the sanctification of our natures, the perseverance of our souls in the path of life. Though exposed to the terrors of thy law, we have a refuge from the storm. Though compelled to cry unclean, we have a fountain for sin. Though creature cells of emptiness, we have a fullness accessible to all and incapable of reduction. Grant us always to know that to walk with Jesus makes other interests a shadow and a dream. Keep us from intermittent attention to eternal things. Save us from the delusion of those who fail to go far in religion, who are concerned but not converted, who have another heart but not a new one, who have light, zeal, confidence but not Christ, let us judge our Christianity not only by our dependence, excuse me by our dependence upon Jesus, but by our love to him, our conformity to him, our knowledge of him. Give us a religion that is both real and progressive that holds on its way and grows stronger, that lives and works in the spirit that profits by every correction and is injured by no carnal indulgence. Amen. All right, in our morning devotion from Spurgeon's morning and evening. For, well, sorry, for January 10th, Uh, the text is from 2 Timothy 4, 8. There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Doubting one, thou hast often said, I fear I shall never enter heaven. Fear not, all the people of God shall enter there. I love the quaint saying of a dying man who exclaimed, I have no fear of going home. I have sent all before me. "'God's finger is on the latch of my door, and I am ready for him to enter.' "'But,' said one, "'are you not afraid, lest you should miss your inheritance?' "'Nay,' said he, "'nay, there is one crown in heaven which the angel Gabriel could not wear. It will fit no head but mine. There is one throne in heaven which Paul the Apostle could not fill. It was made for me, and I shall have it. O Christian, what a joyous thought! Thy portion is secure.' There remaineth a rest, but cannot I forfeit it? No, it is entailed. If I be a child of God, I shall not lose it. It is mine, as securely as if I were there. Come with me, believer, and let us sit upon the top of Nebo, and view the goodly land, even Canaan. Seest thou that little river of death glistening in the sunlight, and across it doth th- thou see the, the pinnacles of the eternal city? Dost thou mark the pleasant country, and all its joyous inhabitants? Know then that it, if thou couldst fly across sorry, that if thou couldst fly across thou wouldst see written upon one of its many mansions, this remaineth for such a one, preserved for him only. He shall be caught up to dwell forever with God. Poor doubting one, see the fair inheritance it is thine. If thou believest in the Lord Jesus, if thou hast repented of sin, if thou hast been renewed in heart, thou art one of the Lord's people, and there is a place reserved for thee, a crown laid up for thee, a harp specially provided for thee. No one else shall have thy portion. It is reserved in heaven for thee, and thou shalt have it ere long, for there shall be no vacant thrones in glory when all the chosen are gathered in. All right, now we're going to do our reading. In just a minute, I need a little bit of water here. All righty. All right, well, our reading for today, we're going to re- be reading from Genesis 23 all the way through Genesis Genesis 24, verse 51, Matthew 8, the first 17 verses, Psalm 9, verses 13 through 20, and Proverbs 3, the first six verses. So Genesis 33, 23, excuse me, and Sarah lived a 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Then Abraham rose from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I am a sojourner and a for- and a foreign resident among you. Give me a possession for a burial site among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the sons of Heth answered Abram, saying to him, Hear us, my lord, you are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our burial sites. None of us will refuse you this burial, his burial sites for burying your dead. So Abraham rose and bowed to the people of the land, the sons of Heth. And he spoke with them, saying, If it is your desire for me to bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and meet with Ephron, the son of Zohar, for me. That he may give me the cave of Mashpela, Mach, which belongs to him, which is at the end of this of his field, for the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as a possession for a burial site. Now Ephron was sitting among the sons of Heth, and Ephron, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham, in the hearing of the sons of Heth, even of all who went in at the gate of this of his city, saying, "No, my lord, hear me." I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. And Abraham bowed before the people of the land. And he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you will only please hear me, I will give the silver for the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Then Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, My lord, hear me, a piece of land worth four hundred shekels of silver, what is that between me and you? So bury your dead. So Abraham heard Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, four hundred shekels of silver, commercial standard. So Ephron's field, which was in Machpelah, which faced Mamre, the field and the cave which was in it, and all the trees which were in the field that were within all the confines of its border, were deeded over to Abraham as purchased in the sight of the sons of Heth, before all who came in at the gate of his city. After this Abraham buried Sarah his wife in the cave of the field at Machphela, facing Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded over to Abraham for a possession for a burial site by the sons of Heth. Wow, I hope I don't have to say that word anymore. Uh, Genesis 24. Now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and Yahweh had blessed Abraham in every way. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who ruled over all that he owned, Please place your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by Yahweh, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live but you will go to my land and to my kin and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, Suppose the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. Should I indeed take your son back to the land from where you came? Then Abraham said to him, Beware, lest you take my son back there. Yahweh, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kin and who spoke to me and who swore to me, well, and who swore to me saying, To your seed I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Not only do, do not take only do not take my son back there. So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten camels from the camels of his master, and he went with all kinds of good things of his masters in his hand. So he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time, the time when the women go out to draw water. And he said, O Yahweh, the God of my master Abraham, please cause this to happen before me today, and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be that the young woman to whom I say, Please let down your jar, so that I may drink, and she says, Drink, and I will give water to your camels to drink also. May she be the one whom you have decided for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. And before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah. The wife of Abraham's brother, Nahor, was coming out with her jar on her shoulder. Now the young woman was very beautiful in appearance, a virgin, and no man had known her. And she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. Now when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. So she hurried and emptied her jar into the watering channel and ran again to the well to draw, and she drew for all his camels. Meanwhile, the man was gazing at her in silence to know whether Yahweh had made his journey successful or not. Now it happened that when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her wrists, weighing ten shekels in gold, and said, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there a place for us to lodge in your father's house? And she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. And she said to him, We have plenty of both straw and feed and a place to lodge in. Then the man bowed low and worshipped Yahweh, And he said, Blessed be Yahweh, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward my master. As for me, Yahweh has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. And Laban ran outside to the man at the spring. Now it happened when he saw the ring, and the bracelets on his sister's wrists, and when he heard the words of Rebekah his sister, saying, This is what the man said to me. He came out to the man, and behold he was standing by the camels at the spring, and he said, Come in, blessed of Yahweh, why do you stand outside, since I have prepared the house and a place for the camels? So the man came into the house. Then Laban unloaded the camels, and he gave straw and feed to the camels, and water to wash his feet, and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have spoken my words. And he said, Speak. So he said, I am Abraham's servant, and Yahweh has greatly blessed my master. So he has become great, and he has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and male slaves and female slaves and camels and donkeys. Now Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master in her old age, and he has given him all that he has. And my master made me swear, saying, "You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live, but you shall go to my master's house, I am sorry, but you shall go to my father's house and to my family and take a wife for my son." Then I said to my master, Suppose the woman does not follow me." And he said to me, Yahweh, before whom I have walked, will send his angel with you, and will make your journey successful. And you will take a wife for my son from my family and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my relatives. Now if they do not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. So I came today to the spring and said, O Yahweh, the God of my master Abraham, if now you will make my journey on which I go successful, Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and may it be that the maiden who comes out to draw, and to whom I say, Please let me drink a little water from your jar, and she will say to me, You drink, and I will draw for your camels also. She is the woman whom Yahweh has decided upon for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah was coming out with her jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew, and I said to her, Please give me a drink then she hurried and lowered her jar from her shoulder and said drink and i will also give water to your camels to drink so i drank and she also gave water to the camels to drink then i asked her and said whose daughter are you and she said the daughter of bethuel nahor's son whom milca bore to him and i put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrists and i bowed low and worshipped yahweh and i blessed yahweh the god of my master abraham who had guided me in the true way to take the daughter of my master's relative for his son. So now, if you are going to show loving kindness and truth with my master, tell me, and if not, tell me, that I may turn to the right or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The matter comes from Yahweh, so we cannot speak to you, bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as Yahweh has spoken." All right, Matthew 8, the first 17 verses. Now, when Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and was bowing, bowing down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go, show yourself to the priest, and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I am not good enough for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled, and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west, and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. When Jesus came into Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in bed with a fever. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she got up and began waiting on him. Now when evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and healed all who were ill, in order to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, saying, "He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases." All right. And Psalm nine, verse thirteen through the end. And I I realize I think I read all the way through to the end yesterday, and I wasn't supposed to. So Psalm thir- Psalm sorry, Psalm nine, verse thirteen through the end. Be gracious to me, O Yahweh, see my affliction from those who hate me. You who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk down in the pit which they have made, in the net which they hid, their own foot has been caught. Yahweh has made himself known, he has executed judgment. In the work of his own hands the wicked is snared. Higyan Selah. The wicked will return to Sheol, even all the nations who forget God. For the needy will not always be forgotten, nor the hope of the afflicted perish forever. Arise, O Yahweh, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Yahweh. Let the nations know that they are but men. Selah. And finally, Proverbs 3, the first six verses. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart guard my commandments for length of day and years of life and peace i'm sorry length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you do not let loving kindness and truth forsake you bind them around your neck write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good insight in the eyes of god and man trust in yahweh with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear Yahweh and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor Yahweh from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your burns will be filled with plenty. Oh, I'm sorry. I read way on past that. Sorry. Well, that is our reading for the day. I thank you for spending this time with me. Um, I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you for the evening segment. We're going to close out with prayer. If my dog over here who wants so much attention right now, her name is Tiggy. Um, she is a schnoodle um, and she wants my attention instead of me being able to take care of you. But all right, we're going to close out in prayer from Valley of Vision. This one is called Divine Mercies. Let's pray. Thou eternal God, thine is surpassing greatness unspeakable goodness superabundant grace i can as soon count the sands of ocean's lip as number thy favors towards me i know but a part but that part exceeds all praise i thank thee for personal mercies a measure of health preservation of body comforts of house and home sufficiency of food and clothing continuance of mental powers my family their mutual help and support the delights of domestic harmony and peace the seats now filled, that which have been vacant, my country, church, Bible, faith. But, O, how I mourn my sin, ingratitude, vileness, the days that add to my guilt, the scenes that witness my offending tongue. All things in heaven, earth, around, within, without, condemn us. The sun which sees my misdeeds, the darkness which is light to Thee, the cruel accuser who justly charges me, the good angels who have been provoked to leave me, thy countenance which scans my secret sins, thy righteous law, thy holy word, my sin-soiled conscience, my private and public life, my neighbors, myself, all write dark things against me. I deny them not, frame no excuse, but confess, Father, I have sinned. Yet still I live, and fly repenting to thy outstretched arms. Thou wilt not cast me off, for Jesus brings me near. Thou wilt not condemn me, for he died in my stead. Thou wilt not mark my mountains of sin, for he leveled all, for his beauty covers my deformities. Oh my God, I bid farewell to sin by clinging to his cross, hiding in his wounds, and sheltering in his side. Amen. All right, well again, I thank you for spending this time with me. I hope you have yourself a wonderful evening, or a wonderful day, and I hope to see you for the evening segment. Have a good one. God bless. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the third, uh, Wednesday, sorry Wednesday, uh, January 10th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. All right, we're going to be continuing on in our study of the Gospel of John this evening. But let's first, got to open up in prayer and some devotion. So um, like, I, like we've been doing, uh, we're praying, we're using prayers out of uh, At the Throne of Grace. It is a book. It's a book of John MacArthur's prayers put together by his children. So it's called at the throne of grace. I'm sure you can find it at gty.org. Definitely worth your while. These are some wonderful, wonderful prayers. I'm being truly edified by them. The one we're going to do today is called reflecting on past and future examples of God's faithfulness. And, and again, like, like I've told you before, this, this all comes the, the way this is constructed is his prayers are, are kind of based around specific text. So I'm, I'm reading you the text first and then we'll do the prayer so the text for this is romans 11 verse 25 through 20 through 36 excuse me i do not want you brethren to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to israel until the fullness of the gentiles has come in and so all israel will be saved just as it is written the deliverer the the deliverer will come from zion he will remove ungodliness from jacob This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience, so these also now have been disobedient, that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. For God has shut up all in, all in disobedience, so that He may show mercy to all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments, and unfathomable his way for who has known the mind of the Lord, or who became his counsellor, or who is first given to him, that it might be paid back to him again, far from Him and through him, I'm sorry, for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory for ever. Amen. There's Paul, waxing prayerful, as he usually does. All right, our prayer that we're going to open with today. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are a covenant-keeping God. Your word gives us the wonderful example of ethnic Israel, whom you will one day save according to your promise. We thank you that even now there is only a partial spiritual hardening, for there are many true Israelites who have come to faith in Jesus as Messiah. And when the fullness of the Gentiles is complete, before the final ingathering of people into the church from every nation, tongue, and tribe, then you will fulfill your promise to Israel. This is your covenant. When they see their nail-pierced Messiah return in His glory, a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem to wash away sin and impurity. Your word and your covenants are always true and trustworthy, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. All nations of the earth are beneficiaries of your grace, even in the wake of Israel's disobedience. For when that nation rejected the Lord Jesus as their promised Messiah, you turned to the Gentiles. And when you have accomplished your sovereign work among the nations, you will turn again to Israel and show mercy to them just as you have to the Gentiles. That prompts us to marvel with the Apostle Paul. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of your wisdom and knowledge, for from you and through you and to you are all things and the glory forever. Thank you for the grace of salvation to both Jew and Gentile. How grateful we are from the depths of our of our being to you, Lord Jesus. I'm sorry. How grateful we are from the depths of our being to you, Lord Jesus, for bearing our sin in your own body on the cross. Your self-sacrifice is the guarantee of our redemption, the reason for our hope, the ground of our assurance, and the song of our faith. Your death purchased our salvation, your resurrection guarantees our justification, and your intercession at the throne of grace secures our perseverance. Teach us, Lord, to walk obediently by faith. Empower us through your Spirit to live in your strength. May we gladly bear the yoke that is easy and the burden that is light. And may we wear that yoke faithfully until we see you face to face. In the meantime, enable us to be truly useful in the advancement of your kingdom. What a privilege this is for us, that you overcome our fallenness, wretchedness, sinfulness, weakness, and ignorance to transform us into instruments of your grace in this world. Be honored, Lord, as we offer you our worship And reflecting on your faithfulness to your people. We pray for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and in his mighty name amen all right let me move that a little over there we go and we're going to do our devotion and as we said you know we did stuff from macarthur's drawing near his devotional bible last week and what we're doing this week is this is from glorifying god it is a book by thomas watson it is a book of devotions and so we're doing the january 10th from thomas watson's book again Great Puritan. Um, if you're going to get into the Puritans, and I would recommend that you do so, go to, start with Thomas Watson. He is easier to read than most of the rest of them, and it's a good way to get started and to develop a passion for the Puritans, which which is a very good thing for us. All right, here we go. So our text for this one, um, so the title of it is Glory Ascribed to God Through Adoration of Him. And the text is from Psalm 29, 2. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in holy array. Glorifying God consists in adoration or worship. There is a twofold worship. First is the civil reverence that we give to persons of honor, as when Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the children of Heth (Genesis 23:7). We were just reading that today. Piety is no enemy to courtesy. Second is that divine worship that we give to God as his royal prerogative, as when God's people bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground, Nehemiah 8.6. This divine worship God is very jealous of. It is the apple of his eye, the pearl of his crown, which he guards as he did the tree of life, with cherubim and a flaming sword, that no man may come near it to violate it. Divine worship must be such as God Himself has appointed; otherwise, otherwise it is offering strange fire. Leviticus 10, 1. the Lord would have Moses make the tabernacle and its furnishings. Look that the, thou make them after their pattern, which was shewed thee in the mount. Exodus twenty five verse forty. Moses must not leave out anything in the pattern, nor add to it. If God was so exact and curious about the place of worship, how exact will He be about the matter of His worship? Surely here everything must be according to the pattern prescribed in his word. All right. That is our devotional for this evening. All right. Now we're going to continue with our Bible study in the Gospel of John in John 17. Um, You know, as we saw over early part of this week, end of last week, we we looked through actually, you know, we've actually... When was it was most of last week? Actually, I think it was all of last week because we started. It's been since the beginning of the year. We've been in John 17 and we're only in verse six for today. So as I mentioned, we were going to be taking it apart a little bit at a time. Um, because again, as I've said multiple times, it is very, very easy to come along and go, oh, OK, that's a pretty cool prayer here. Let's uh, let's see what John had to say or what John recorded Jesus saying. Sorry, I was moving something there. Um, you know, when that's that's all well and good and nothing wrong with that. But the problem is there's so much more to this prayer. It's such so such a very very rich prayer. Um and it's truly like like we saw in the first section we were dealing with um in verse 17 or in chapter 17 where, you know, uh MacArthur calls it the real Lord's Prayer. Um, And that was kind of the introduction to it. And and I agree with him. He's absolutely right. This is the real Lord's Prayer, not what we call the Lord's Prayer. Um, I I agree with my pastor who calls it the Disciples Prayer because it's Jesus instructing the disciples how to pray. Um, it, It in itself actually isn't a prayer. It's instruction of how to pray. This is an actual prayer by Jesus to God. So it is the Lord's Prayer. But we've gone through this first section. So again, we, we talked about it and I, I mentioned it this mo- um, in the morning segment when I was kind of prefacing this is we're, you know, the, the prayer here is kind of broken up into three pieces. The first part of it is Jesus praying for himself. The second part, which we're getting into today, is Jesus praying for the disciples. And then the final part, verse 20 till the end, is Jesus praying for the church. Now, again, all of this, each of these three sections, don't ever think like, like when you hear Jesus praying for himself, oh, he must have been go, you know, the the default thought when you hear that is, oh, he must be praying that God would make this easier on him, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, that's what we would pray. That's what I would pray. I mean, go, go figure. I'm not proud of it. I'm just honest about it. But Jesus is actually praying, and we we've seen that over the last, you know, four, yeah, four nights, um, you know, end of last week, beginning of this week, that Jesus was praying about God's work truly being done. And it and it and it we discussed the rights that Christ possessed, the relationship that He offered, that so the right to give eternal life, the relationship which is eternal life that He's offering, the require requirement he meets and having been totally, totally blameless, totally sinless and maintaining himself that way, that therefore coming to the cross as the sacrifice, as, as an appropriate sacrifice, the perfectly pure and clean sacrifice so that he could die for our sins and thus pay our price. And then the reverence he deserves because he's done that because he came from ultimate glory beside the father and humbled himself to be here faced all that he faced was crucified, dead and buried. And then rose on the third day and ascends back up there. And the, the, reference that just, he deserves from that. Um, and it's clear that, that God goes on to give him that glory, that God has given him that glory, that God, you know, that, that Christ, even in that case, Christ was truly glorified and the father was glorified even in what, Seems to be the most humiliating part and seems to be the part where Satan wins, but he doesn't, but he doesn't. That, that, that is the ultimate part of it. So we've moved in today. We're moving in this evening to this second part of this prayer and it's Jesus praying for his disciples. And it's from verse six to verse 19. And so usually what I'll do is I'll read through the little introduction, um, in MacArthur's commentary. Cause that, those were the titles I use, but I don't, I don't usually necessarily do too much about the little introduction here, except, and, and then in this case it does that. And then it's got two sections basically verses seven and eight are a section and verses nine and 10 are a section, except when I got to reading into this and I, and I have to be honest with you, I didn't take any notes for this. I didn't write out any notes like I usually do because I just wasn't sure where to start with it. Um, But I think it's critical. And so this introduction, what's funny is, you know, this, this first section, Jesus prays for his disciple and it's called part one. And again, these are MacArthur's titles, but I think they're good. It's part one as those whom the father has given him, had given him. And again, that's what we're going to see. We see it that it's those who the father had given him. And then we're going to see it. It's, um, oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to, I'm losing track of that. Um, let's see. those who the father had yeah because they had believed yeah so it's because they had yeah so it's as those who the father had given him um basically the disciples so that's speaking of the disciples this is verses 6 through 19 um but it's going to break into two sections the first section is going to be because they had believed in him as the son that's verse 7 and 8 and then because they were given to him from the father verses 9 and 10 and that's all well and good but there was so much in this introduction section. Um, and like I said, I really couldn't even get any notes down. I was trying to figure out what to, what to write down and what to, you know, well, what to type out because I do it electronically because I type better and I write um, and I have arthritis issues. Um, but this introduction dealt so much with, and I, I thought it was beautiful. So it says it's verse 6 through 10, except we really don't cover. Notice I said seven, eight, nine, and 10 didn't say six that's because six is kind of covered in this introduction so in six actually if you look at it you see six and clearly six is actually um (laughs) it is actually a very good summary of where we're going with this um it, it it really is so let's just read verse six john 17 verse six I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. That's a summary of verses seven through ten. It truly is. Like I said, we're going to deal with the fact is those that were given, verses seven and eight, and those that have kept the word, those that have been obedient, verses nine and ten. So in, in the intro, and and I'm I'm going to refrain from getting too deep into this, because truthfully, when you get onto the, these topics, they are hard. Okay, these are hard subjects to talk about, and please know that I still struggle with them. I still tr- struggle with trying to reconcile them with each other, but the Bible says they go together. So I'm going to trust God in that because he's a whole lot smarter than I will ever, ever, ever be. Okay. And, and a home, a whole lot more knowledgeable and wise than I will ever be. Um, even when I'm glorified, but what we see clearly here is the dichotomy between God's sovereignty notice that that we are chosen, that we are selected. We were, we were predestined from before the foundation of the earth. And yet what they try to call free will man's obedience. Again, we see that there in verse six and they have kept your word and the obedience. So man's responsibility to believe, to obey. I mean, and and that's the thing we see um, throughout the Bible Um, In some cases, the same word being translated, in some cases obey, in some cases believe, it's interchangeable. The fact is somebody who truly believes in Christ will obey his commands, will obey the statutes of God. And the fact is the only one who can truly obey the statutes of God is one who truly believes in Christ, has come to a saving, been brought to a saving faith in Christ. So, you know, it's that dichotomy of God's sovereignty. He's called us And we have a responsibility of our own. And, and again, you know, there, there's any number of verses. And I believe me, we could talk about this in ad nauseum detail. Oh, I don't know. Next couple of years, five, five nights a week for 25 minutes each night. And we still wouldn't exhaust it. Okay. And I, I'm trying to preface all of this to let you know that, yes, this is something I've always struggled with. Um, I, I, you know, Paul even brings it up, um, and I forget who he's talking to, which, which epistle it's in, but he's talking, um, talking about it that he's like, um, actually, hang on. I may have it right here. Um, and I'm sorry, I'm actually doing this straight out of, uh, oh, here we go. I, right, right out of MacArthur's commentary. So I'm doing this more like a Bible study. Uh, or a study Bible level Bible study like uh, Gene Client does, the squirrel. Um, But I, you know, I I very much, these verses resonate with me. Uh, It's Paul speaking to the Romans, Romans 9 verses 19 through 24. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this? Will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make for the same, from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And He did so to make known the riches of His glory upon vessels of mercy, which He prepared beforehand for glory even us, whom He also called not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles." So uh, again, I, I, like I said, those, those verses speak to me about this because what we have to remember is we're not the potter, we're the clay and, and God can choose and, and has every right to choose whatever he, whatever he chooses to do. Um, Wonderful, wonderful story, wonderful illustration of this. And I, I really don't want to get too far down this, but this does show the di- dichotomy. Archie um, Spruill, speaking of when he was teaching in college. And so he had students and I don't remember what the subject is. It isn't really germane to the story, but he had he came in the first day of class, kind of laid out the syllabus of the class, made clear there are going to be three major projects. And those are going to be expected to be in on time he was not going to give any kind of extensions. He was not going to do any of that. There was not going to be any credit for partial work. There wasn't, you know, none of that. Well, sure enough, the you know, and of course they were spaced out over the semester and sure enough, the first part project came around and there were a number of people that, that weren't ready to turn it in. And so they asked for extensions and being RC, he tried to be gracious. He was like, okay, well, you know, trying to be gracious with this. So he gives them a little bit of extension and they get them turned in. And so the second project comes around and more people are now not turning in and and they've always got good excuses, you know, Oh, well this is going on or that's going on or this happened or, you know, whatever it is. I mean, we all do. I mean, honestly, when I was in college, I did the same thing, not proud of it, just honest about it. And so again, he gave extensions Well, the third project, the final project comes around and um, even more people don't have theirs ready. And so when he calls for them to bring their project up, um, first guy go first guy that didn't have it ready said, I don't have it ready yet. I'm going to I'm going to need an extension. And R.C. said, well, in this case, I'm not going to give you an extension. And he gives him an F. He said, I'm going to have to give you an F on this. And the person was upset and he said, well, wait a minute, that's not fair. And RC said, oh, you want fair. Okay. So he turns around and I'm guessing that somehow he had it set up with overhead or whatever, where they could see the grade sheet. He turned around, went back to the second project for this person, and they had also been late there gave them an F for that and went to the first one. And Oh, this happened to be one of those people who had also been late for the first one and gave them an F for that. And he said, I don't think you, you really want fairness. I mean, he made a point with it. I don't think you want fairness. I think you want grace. He had given grace before that, but it was up to him as to when he gave that grace. He did not owe that student any of those better grades or any of those undocked grades, you know, um, you know, prorated grades. He didn't know them any of that. God doesn't owe us any, any of this. We always have to understand that were we to get what we deserved, we would get death. But God sent his son so that we didn't have to get that. So, and again, yes, he chose us before the foundation of the earth. And that's wonderful. That's wonderful that he did that for us. How blessed we are that he did that for us, but he didn't owe it to us. He doesn't owe it to you and me. Um, again, RC Sproul. And again, I'm not, I'm not necessarily an RC Sproul fanboy. It just, he's such, he was such a wise man and, and I miss him very, very much. Um, but, uh, people were actually actually asking and again this kind of goes off the top but it still gets the point across um it was in a QA, and they were asking about um why god lets bad things happen to good people and <laughs> he turned around and he goes what's wrong with you people the question you, you ought to be asking is why does god let good happen to any of us because we don't deserve it again it's that we don't deserve it it is purely on grace. I mean, Ephesians two eight and nine is very very clear with that. That it is by grace we have been saved through faith, not of ourselves. That no man may boast. I mean, it, it's not of us. Again, um, we we have to see this prayer. So he's praying for us, and he's praying for us. He's praying for the disciples because the disciples are a gift we have to see that they were yours and you gave them to me we see this in verse 6 they gave he gave god gave them to him they are jesus inheritance they are a gift to him and they are a priceless gift we are a priceless gift to him not because not due to any worth in us but because they are an inheritance they were a gift from his father that is what gives it gives us value and that only so again, you have that dichotomy. And again, so so it's speaking of God, you know, you gave me out of the world. You, you, I have I manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me. So again, it's very, very clear that we are not the actors we are being acted upon. But it also said, and they have kept your word. So l- let's discuss this a little bit. I know this is getting a little long, but when he says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world, the manifesting your name, he's making clear, he's exposing, he's describing, he's explaining the name of God to the men whom you gave me out of the world. Now we've talked about this before, so I'm I'm not going to go into too much detail, but when he's talking about the name of God, I have manifested your name. this, This is saying, and this would be clear to his audience, to who John was writing this gospel to, that he's manifesting all that God is, his uh, his attributes, his attributes, his love, his mercy, his, you know, he 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 explained it all and exposed it all to these men whom God gave him out of the world. They were gods and God gave them to Christ. That's who he's going to pray for now. That's who he's going to pray for now. But he also goes on, and they have kept your word. They've been obedient to your word. They've grown. They've learned. They've changed. They've matured. They're still struggling. Don't ever get me wrong. And again, when he gets arrested, they're going to scatter. We're within hours of this. They're going to scatter for a little bit. But as I've said before, there was still enough strength in them that when Christ rose, They they were back together. They were empowered. And they were ready for the Holy Spirit. And they carried the gospel. To the ends of the known world. They completed their mission. And all but one that we know of. Died for his faith. And and truly the Apostle John. Is the only one we don't have any record of him being killed. For his faith. He was banished for it. He was exiled for it. And, And believe me. Um, As I've said before, you know, we talk about, oh, he got put off on Patmos. Oh, it was a Mediterranean island. It must have been nice. No, no, not in first century (laughs) that that, he was not in, in in a great garden destination. That that was unpleasant for a drastic understatement there. But again, he has manifested God's name to these and they have obeyed. They've been obedient. They have kept his word. And again, there's that clear recognition that there's a, that they are a gift, that we are a gift. And again, he's going to get to the church later in this, in this prayer, but it's clear they are a gift. You've given them to me. This isn't the first time we've seen in the gospel of John that Jesus has made clear that they are given to him, that they were given to him. They know he sees them that way, that they are a gift to him, but that's who he's going to be praying for as those whom the father had given him. Now, again, we still see there is an obedience there and we know, and I, I'm, I'm going to make it clear right now. So you don't misunderstand. We are not obedient to earn our way into heaven. These disciples were not obedient. He's not talking about that. They kept their kept his word. So they've earned something. No, he's saying in, in, in light of them maturing and growing, in, in me, in Christ, I'm speaking from Christ, in Christ, that they are keeping God's word. They're being obedient. It is an outflowing of that faith, not an earning of that grace, because you can't earn grace. It's given in mercy. But again, So we're getting into here through the rest of the week. We're going to talk about those as those that's the prayer for the disciples. And it's as those who the father has given, had given him. And so we'll continue that tomorrow evening, God willing. All right. Well, that's going to do it for tonight. I thank you for spending this time with me. I continue to pray that we spending this time. In the word like this that it that helps us all to grow in our understanding of the word and it helps to shape our walk so that we walk more and more like christ all right let's go ahead and close out in prayer we're going to close out with the fourth day evening prayer from valley vision called god all sufficient let's pray king of glory divine majesty every perfection adorns thy nature and sustains thy throne the heavens and earth are thine the world is thine in its fullness the power created the universe from nothing. Thy wisdom ha- has managed all its multiple concerns, presiding over nations, families, individuals. Thy goodness is boundless. All creatures wait on Thee, are supplied by Thee, are satisfied in Thee. How precious are the thoughts of Thy mercy and grace! How excellent Thy loving kindness that draws men to Thee! Teach us to place our happiness in Thee, the blessed God never seeking life among the dead things of earth, or asking for that which satisfies the deluded. But may we prize the light of thy smile, implore the joy of thy salvation, find our heaven in thee. Thou hast ascended to our happiness more than we can do. Though we are fallen creatures, thou hast not neglected us. In love and pity thou hast provided us a Savior. Apply his redemption to our hearts, by justifying our persons and sanctifying our natures. We confess our transgressions, have mercy on us. We are weary, give us rest. Ignorant, make us wise unto salvation. Helpless, let thy strength be made perfect. In our weakness, poor and needy, bless us with Christ's unsearchable riches. Perplexed and tempted, let us travel on, unchecked, undismayed, knowing that thou hast said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Blessed be thy name. Amen. All right, again. I hope you have yourself a wonderful evening and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a good night. God bless.